Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today's episode is brought to you in partnership with Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to see what the hype was all about. Now, I literally can't miss a day. It's the first thing I put in my body every single morning. As someone who suffers from IBS, AG1 has completely improved my gut health and allows me to have sustained energy throughout the day. And since I'm always on the go, the travel packs make it so easy to stay consistent wherever I am. Love it. I've personally been taking AG1 for a while. And as someone who lacked a multivitamin routine, AG1 has been the perfect product to mix into my morning routine. Truthfully, I was a skeptic at first as I'm with most supplements and vitamins, but I've felt noticeably better at the start of morning workouts and definitely have seen an improvement in my digestive health. I tend to mix my AG1 with two tablespoons of lemon juice and coconut water, and it's delicious. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash STW. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash STW to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Josh Belinsky, co-founder of Slate Milk. Slate sells strength and energy through delicious, all-natural cans of chocolate milk and lattes that are better for our health and our planet. Josh and Manny became lactose intolerant during their teens and over time realized that innovation was lacking in the chocolate milk space. Fast forward to 2022 and you can find Slate in thousands of stores. Josh, welcome to Subscribing to Wellness. Thanks for joining me today, man. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me. Really excited to discuss everything chocolate milk and beyond. Um, would love to hear the origins of the story and how you and Manny got the idea to start Slate. Sure. Uh, born and raised out here in Boston, Mass., right in the suburbs out here. Same with Manny. We grew up playing a ton of sports. We loved chocolate milk. Our moms would always give it to us after a soccer game, baseball game, football, whatever it was. Um, and unfortunately, as we got older, hit puberty, we both became lactose intolerant. So we had to start drinking lactose-free milk products, most of which whose brands would immediately tell everyone else that you were the kid with tummy issues. So, um, they were not the best brands for us to be associated with, but we still love the drink and we kept drinking them. Um, got into college, uh, never played college sports, but played a bunch of intramurals and just tried to stay overall healthy and fit. And um, so we tried some of the protein powders, um, the mostly artificial that are dairy-based and then some of the non-dairy-based um, as well that either A, just didn't taste good enough or B, just like still didn't make us feel very good. We also started really looking at ingredients more and realized that most of the, uh, at least dairy-based had a lot of artificial ingredients in there. So we um, had these brands that were high in sugar um, from the chocolate milk side that were made for kids usually. Then we had these artificial kind of really intense protein brands on the protein side. 
And there's really nothing in the middle, nothing that you could really drink every single day. And so the original slate idea was let's create a chocolate milk that we can selfishly drink every single day. That was high in protein, had low to no sugar, was lactose free. Um, it could be used for, you know, a snack, something between your breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner, but also something that a pro athlete would use to refuel after they're working out. Um, so that, you know, has kind of how the brand has evolved from a better for you chocolate milk to something that's truly like your protein, um, for whether it's the snack, a meal, post-workout. Love it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking, I was reflecting a little before this episode on kind of like how I was drinking chocolate milk growing up. And I think for me, I think it was Nesquik maybe. Um, and thinking back to like the Nesquik, uh, label now that I remember, like at the time it didn't matter because I was just a kid, but like 37 grams of sugar. I'm sure my parents were really thinking about it at the time, but as health and wellness has definitely evolved and become a much more, uh, hyper-focused topic for, you know, young, younger, younger adults, but also parents and, and what they're giving their children. It seems like Nesquik is probably not the the best solution. And then I think what I was also do, doing was probably just putting like Hershey's syrup um, and milk itself. But the the point on lactose is also super interesting, um, just given how many people have lactose intolerance or just have trouble kind of digesting um, dairy. But I'd love to unpack the product a little more. You kind of hinted at kind of sure. what you're doing specifically. Talk about like the current product line. Yeah. So right now we have a classic chocolate, a dark chocolate, um, and a French vanilla, which are all, you know, flavored milks basically that are high protein. We call them protein shakes disguised as flavored milk. Um, and then we have a mocha latte and a uh, vanilla latte. Both of the vanilla skews are pretty brand new. Um, and both of those are made with real coffee. They are caffeinated. They have about two cups of coffee worth of caffeine in there. And so when we took a step back to look at what, what gap we were filling, like I said at the beginning, it was how do we make a better for you chocolate milk? And after spending over a year interviewing consumers of, you know, do you drink chocolate milk? And a lot of them being like, I love it, but I haven't had it in 20 years. And the next question for us was why? Very often it was, oh, my, I don't feel good. I feel weird. My stomach hurts, whatever. And they don't even realize that the majority of people aren't drinking it because they're lactose intolerant, even somewhat. They can have ice cream or, you know, a little bit of ice cream, but if they have too much, maybe they don't feel great or bloated. They might have a piece of pizza. They're like, ah, nobody feels good after pizza. But a lot of the time it's, it's just like the actual lactose and lactose is just a big sugar. Yeah. Your body has natural enzymes in it to break it down. So you feel okay. But yeah. as you get older, it's most people lose that enzyme as they get older through puberty and beyond. And so um, that's why people over time become lactose intolerant. Um, and so whether, you know, you have a really hard case of it or not, that's why it's, it's there. And so for us, um, it not only had to be a product that was going to be lactose free for that reason. Um, but when we actually looked at, uh, the space, like I said, it was brands for kids and brands for bodybuilders. There's nothing in between. And so, um, we needed to make the brand that we took a lot of inspiration from one of our investors, Peter Ray Hall from RX bar. If you look at our dark chocolate, it's very reminiscent of the dark chocolate sea salt RX bar, where we just tell you what it is. This is a product that it's a dark chocolate milk drink and it's 20 grams of protein, and no sugar. We're not telling you that you have to do it to build muscle, that you have to do it as a workout post-recovery. All these protein shakes really talk about muscles. They're typically very masculine, et cetera. And on the little kid side, you have bunnies and cows and bright colors and things like that. This is like, here's what it is. You choose when you want to drink it. And we can kind of target marketing and campaigns throughout. Um, and so, so anyway, about the actual product itself, another big piece of feedback was that milk is just naturally very high in sugar. So uh, if our one of our 11 ounce cans was filled with white milk right from the cow, it would have 17 grams of sugar. That's all natural lactose. 
um, and only 11 grams of protein. So we use a process called ultra filtration. Um, if anybody's ever seen or heard of Fairlife or Core Power done by Coca-Cola, very similar process where we basically take regular milk from a cow. We put it through the easiest way to describe it is think of a Brita filter where the lactose is just a big sugar. The Brita filter catches all of those big sugars. So what flows through is a basically liquid protein. Um, and so the protein electrolytes, all that comes through sugar is left behind. Some of the water's left behind. So what flows through just has a higher percentage of protein than normal milk. Um, and so in a little less water. So at the end of the day, now our products have 20 grams of protein, less than one gram of sugar per 11 ounce can. And we're not adding any protein powder. You don't get that chalkiness because it's never been spray dried, um, which is why it's more of this ultra filtered milk product versus like a normal protein shake. Um, yeah. The final piece is we make it shelf stable as well. And so we use a popular latte canning process like Starbucks Frappuccinos and stuff like that. But a big piece of our business also was it's 2019 at the time. People need to be able to order this product online. We need to make sure it's shelf stable. So there's no preservatives or anything. It's just the way it's pasteurized to kill all the bacteria. And that way we can ship it ambient. I think the, yeah, it's super interesting. And I, I appreciate the education on kind of the ultra filtration process and, and what that really does to conventional milk. It's interesting because I feel, I feel like ultra filtered is actually just a claim in general that is starting to like really delight consumers. To your point, like I think Fairlife kind of maybe paved the, the way for it to kind of build up mental credibility a bit amongst uh, a mass kind of demographic. And then you've kind of made the deliberate decision to call it out very clearly right on the front of your packaging. Did you kind of, I mean, obviously it's, it was the right move for the product. Did you do some testing to kind of decide if you wanted to really like make it a key point of kind of the story that you're telling to consumers with your packaging? Or was it more of like, all right, like I've, I've tested this amongst like a small group and they all kind of like, like the claim or how did you, how did you kind of land on putting that right front and center as kind of like the leading claim that you first see when you pick up the can? Yeah. So actually our original cans literally just said classic chocolate milk, dark chocolate milk, espresso chocolate milk, now called the mocha latte. And I think the biggest thing for us was the, one of the first things we want people to see on the package was indulgence and indulgence yep. for us was the color of the can. And then it was the biggest words on the can. And the biggest words are usually chocolate, classic chocolate, dark chocolate, or it's mo mocha latte. So people knew this was either a chocolatey beverage or a coffee beverage. And that's what we really want people to see first. After that, it's, it's very unusual for somebody to see a milk product in a can. Almost, you almost never see it. Even protein shakes, there's very, very few protein shakes in a can. And so for us, part of the reason why we wanted to have that front and center is this isn't just a milk. This is something that's functional. And because of Fairlife spending hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in marketing, educating people that when a product is ultra filtered, that means more protein, less sugar. That's what the association has started to become. And if people don't know about that, the more they will start to learn about it. And so for us, where it's like the core thing is the indulgence, but if they see that it's not just regular milk, that it's ultra filtered milk, that should over time start to signal that this is now a product that has more protein, less sugar, and typically is either very low lactose or lactose free. And that's why we have the 100% you know, lactose free claim right below it. Um, and then, you know, so the front of the package is pretty simple. It's the flavor. It's the fact that it's ultra filtered, it's lactose free, and then three major claims. And so for us, it's 20 grams of protein, whatever the calories are, typically between 100 and 120 and then the fact that there's no added sugar. And that's all that we really want consumers to know um, when they're looking at it on the shelf. And the goal is to get them from seeing it on the shelf 
to picking it up to look at the nutritional label on the back. And that's how we'll actually close them to put it in the, into their cart based on the fact that of the 110 calories or so, over 80 of those calories come from the protein itself. Right. So drinking delicious beverage that's majority just protein. Yep. Yep. 100%. And I, I think you do a nice job balancing like premium aesthetic with just some, some simple claims, which is also what I think our X bar has done quite nicely with like the aesthetic, but then just like the list of like a few ingredients um, that clearly resonated with consumers at scale. Um, changing topics a little bit. Um, sure. Slate is an omni-channel brand, but obviously you're really built for, for retail. You're in over 4,000 locations and growing rapidly. Um, how have you approached channel strategy? What have you kind of seen um, working for you? I know it obviously is about following your consumer and where your consumer kind of wants to purchase this kind of product, but um, what has been your kind of journey on channel strategy? So we launched three months before COVID. And so we had a very unique way of launching where we had two retail partners at the beginning. We had Whole Foods up here in New England. We had Harris Teeter down South. So kind of had a natural and a conventional retailer to start with. Um, and so we, we believed, like you said, we were going to have a really strong retail business with some e-commerce to supplement it, um, with COVID and not being able to really get into the stores and stock outs and things like that. We kind of buckled down and actually my college roommate and Manny's brother, Manny, my co-founder, his brother helped us part-time to figure out how to set up our e-commerce, basically supply chain, marketing strategy, et cetera. And, and Manny and they did a phenomenal job. And so our first year of business, um, we were primarily an e-commerce company. Um, during that time, we also tried to figure out how can we win in retail. And so um, as a protein item in the Whole Foods category amongst so many other legacy brands and emerging brands, we were able in our region to be the number one selling protein item, even through a year of really no discovery of new products. Um, and so part of the strategy that got us there is what we have now leaned more into where now retail is more than half our business where it used to be e-com, like I said. Um, and that strategy we call Buzz and Boots. And so Buzz is Manny's team's job, making people aware of Slate through mostly social digital influencer. Um, we do a lot of um, social campaigns. We do a lot of product seeding and we work with influencers that are um, typically small to mid-sized that are focused on health, fitness, um, there's, there's like kind of a, a bunch of keywords that that team uses to really target um, and really get after our audience, young parents, things like that. And then the boots part is um, instead of being traditional DSD, which a lot of beverages use kind of the big DSD networks that are very expensive. Um, we have tended to not work with DSD partners, but almost implore our own um, our, our team have been like a, a team of warriors in stores, ASMs, area sales managers. And so more than half of Slate's team right now are people going into stores every single day, merchandising the shelves, getting new wins, getting cooler placements, things like that. And so kind of the combination of awareness and then helping to drive in-store trial with boots on the ground has been the way that we've been able to win in retail so far. And we've copied, you know, pieces of the playbook from many, many, many other companies. Doug from Halo Top is one of our investors. And he always said that if he had $100 to spend on marketing, he'd spend over 90 of it on in-store whether yep. that's caps or team or promotions, whatever. Um, and then you've seen a lot of other beverage brands that are, you know, both long, long standing in the industry veterans, as well as some of the more emerging brands that have won like essential water had a very similar strategy with their field team. And so just trying to find that balance between not overspending, but making sure we have good support. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, especially as an early stage brand and when you really should be focused on velocity KPIs and, 
as opposed to just like volume growth or, you know, distribution growth to, to really guarantee that velocity. I agree. And definitely over investing on in-store and merchandising execution. And uh, yeah, I was listening to, to an interesting podcast with Onda the other day, obviously a quite different uh, subcategory within beverage um, RTD, you know, but uh, they were talking very similarly to you, just like how important it was for them to overinvest in their ASMs, really covering like the high category um, stores and, ensuring that velocities are, are going through. So you, you know, you impress that retailer and, and, and stay on shelf with them um, for the longer term future. Yeah. I guess the question on that one, I'm, I'm interested in hearing your response. It's just like, there's so many ways to approach that execution. Like to your point, it sounds like you've hired like a scrappy group of ASMs who are going in. You can kind of, you know, try to trust your distributors and maybe bake into the pricing a bit more um, coverage of actually checking shelves and, and kind of trust them as a third party. Obviously there's actually tons of great third party agencies um, that now will provide you with kind of full-time people within their organization to go and make sure that like there's no out of stocks and that like the, the racks are set up properly and adhered to. How do you decide like the right kind of choice when, you know, making sure retail execution um, you know, occurs with perfect, uh, execution. Yeah. yeah. I think we're still learning. I think yeah. everything we do, we're still learning. Um, we test and learn everywhere. And so we've done things like have a full timer in one area covering a specific retailer and then having a third party cover the same retailer, just maybe in a separate area, making sure that there's a stores in both areas, B stores in both areas, C stores, et cetera. And just seeing how they compete against one another. Um, I don't think any of the third party teams would ever make the statement of they're going to be better than somebody that works for you full time. Somebody right. that's full time for your brand that lives, sleeps, eats, breathes your brand is motivated, bonused by your brand all the time. They will always perform better than any outsource party. I don't care what the outsource party is. Um, and that's not what they're there for. They're not there to beat out employees at companies. Um, they're there to supplement and if in, in their more cost effective way. So I think the way that we think about it is if there are, is there is density of stores in a certain area, that's when we will invest in full-time employees. Um, you know, that, that is 150 stores or more in it within a, a small driving distance. That's really when we'll, we'll start to employ somebody full-time. But for example, that's part of why we've really focused on the East coast. Almost all 4,000 doors are on the East coast. We're starting to bring that national, but one of our first partners was central market, 10 stores across Texas that are all dramatically spread out. Uh, someone could hit maybe a store a day if not, if you know maybe driving all day in order to cover that. So it just wouldn't make sense for anybody. So that's a perfect time to employ uh, a third party there. Um, but I think long term we'll see. I mean our our ASMs are animals and they do such a good job. And there may be a point where instead of having you know if we have 50 ASMs that cover the entire country and we continue to add more and more stores, there's a world where those 50 ASMs really focus on a set of accounts for a year. Then they move on to a different set of accounts in their territory and the backfill is the um, the third party. It kind of remains to be seen if you constantly need that full timer hitting the same stores every day. At this point, that is the case. Yeah, uh, there could be a long term scenario where, um, you know, when Slate's big enough, the, the store managers and the store employees care a lot more about your brand. And there's a lot of other things that can happen that uh, may make it less intensive in the future. Yeah, super interesting answer. It sounds like it's like a balance of internal versus external, depending okay. on concentration of stores, probably the commodity value of like milk, chocolate milk, or just ready to drink beverage within the particular accounts within the stores. Um, so yeah, it's no, it makes sense. 
other question I had, I know you guys kind of started purely with kind of chocolate milk and a couple of flavors. You kind of have also added latte and, and kind of jumped into this like RTD coffee space, which I'd say is, is pretty competitive and probably has a few more early players compared to chocolate milk. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of enticed you to line extend a bit early into that space um, and go up and compete with brands, maybe like Super Coffee and so on? Yeah. Um, I mean, Super Coffee is a great example of a brand that's just really paved the path in terms of how to execute in the field. Um, I think they've done a phenomenal job with their team and, and they've been always very gracious to share any insights they've had of things they've done well or should have done better. Um, and that's a lot of what we, me and Manny do every single day is just try to talk to other founders about, you know, mistakes they made and how we can hopefully avoid them and then go off and make our own. Um, but in terms of our line, so when we first started the brand, of course, our first skew was classic chocolate when we were formulating it. But we were always told that in order to have a brand block, you really want to start with three SKUs. And so for us, it was, they need to be functional still. People are drinking products for functionality that they put in their everyday routine. So they needed to be high protein. But we really wanted to create almost three separate drinking occasions. So for us, if somebody loves all three SKUs, that's awesome. But we built these so that there are people that will love one SKU and hate the other two. Where the classic chocolate's more of like the sweet um, more of your classic, either, you know, chocolate milk or protein shake, the dark chocolate's more bitter, less sweet, um, targeting more so folks that are like less sweet things, but also maybe some of the plant-based drinkers. And then the mocha latte, which originally was called espresso chocolate milk was one of our original SKUs, um, where it was a caffeinated form of our product where people could get dual functionality between protein and coffee. And so those three SKUs at the beginning was a, we had no idea what people were going to want more versus the other. Um, but again, we wanted to create almost three separate drinking occasions, um, maybe for three separate types of consumers where they wouldn't cannibalize too much. And so with that launch, what we found is that where we sell best in stores is alongside other functional beverages and in conventional retailers like Kroger and Publix and things like that. The only place in the store to truly get functional beverages are the grab and go at the front, which is owned mm-hmm. by Coke and Pepsi. So we're not going to be there. The protein category is typically in pharmacy. So it's like Band-Aids and Tylenol yeah. and like you're eating your ankles, you get a four pack of muscle milk. Not really a place that like the active millennial, our target consumer is going to shop. Our consumer shopping for coffees and energy drinks. Like that is like kind of the main, they're buying a bunch of things, but that's kind of like a focus. And so in the functional beverage category, new age beverage, energy, whatever you want to call it, that's where Slate is now typically merchandised. And very often our non-caffeinated SKUs are the first non-caffeinated items in that category. Because we're in that category and because we offer 20 grams of protein, which is more protein than any other coffee in our category, um, that gives consumers an incentive to purchase it. But it also is like the gateway into the Slate family where people are used to buying coffees and cans. They, they get it. They understand it. They're maybe looking for a pick-me-up, a grab-and-go. So in retail, our, our lattes are our best sellers. Um, our, non, our non-caffeinated actually are not too far behind. So it's created this like additional drinking moment where people aren't buying Slate or Super Coffee. They might be buying both um, or a Starbucks Frappuccino and a Slate. They might be buying both because you have the non-caffeinated option, options as well. If you work out at night or after work and you just don't want that extra caffeine. Um, and so as we continue to grow the brand, we will continue to add more caffeinated, non-caffeinated SKUs um, depending on, on what people like. So we, we don't really think of ourselves as a coffee company. We are a protein brand that sells high protein chocolate milks. And we also sell high protein lattes. Yeah. I, I love that answer. One comment and one question is I, I think like protein and energy are just to your point, like the consumer going after those two needs amongst millennials and Gen Z's are just like 
absolutely like two of the biggest needs that we face every single day. And I think that's part of the reason why like super coffee, it wasn't that like challenging or I guess complex of a concept, right? Like they're removing sugar and they're adding protein to coffee and it tastes great. But those two needs being checked off in one kind of beverage resonates so strongly. And so that's what I was always, you know, I followed Verb Energy for a long time Mm -hmm. and I love Verb Bars, but my entire time I was just like, wow, like these just need some protein. Like if I had caffeine and I had protein in this Verb Bar, like it would be the perfect protein bar. And then, you know, now they're line extending into into protein. protein. So they have bars that have both caffeine and protein. It's just like such a, yeah, it's such a strong kind of consumer need combination. Um, I guess my other question for you, and, and then we can kind of finish up here, would just be when you kind of made the de- the decision with like kind of the portfolio to have the three SKUs um, and, you know, you go into these conversations with buyers for the first time, is it easy to kind of sell in all three of the SKUs the first time you meet with them, just given that like, you know, they're taking a chance the first time they're putting you on shelf or are there times when, you know, they're only willing to take one and then like the, the story doesn't really work and then the, the velocities are lesser. Do you kind of use the story to leverage getting more SKUs on shelf and therefore driving greater revenue with the retailer for the first time? I think we got really lucky and we've had really awesome buyers to date where we have not had to launch with any retailers with a singular SKU. I also think buyers realize that, especially as an emerging brand, if you're any brand, if you have one SKU on the shelf, you're not going to sell that well. I mean, maybe certain, maybe Coca-Cola or certain ones, I could be wrong, but just especially in beverage, like there's a sea of beverages, no matter what set you're in, no matter how much your product and your design will stand out. It may stand out to you, but at the end of the day, like there's a lot of stuff there. So having multiple SKUs is super important. And for us, because of the story of how different the three SKUs are, we've been really fortunate to almost every single retailer we've partnered with for them to take all three to start. Um, we probably will not have that luck going forward of now we have five SKUs. Will every retailer take all five? I hope so. Um, we believe they're different enough, but we'll see. It, it remains to be seen. Um, we're one for one so far. We were able, we're lucky enough to roll out these SKUs with Publix earlier this year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's going to be a big, um, piece going forward of just making sure we have that brand block. Cause again, we can't be at every store every day. The product has to be able to speak for itself. Um, and where a lot of other items are DSD, like, Starbucks and things like that from Coke and Pepsi, we need to make sure we're available to the consumer. And that that's one of the biggest things that emerging brands, I believe, struggle with is they're just not on the shelf. And yep. the more space you can have dedicated to you, the more glaring the issue is for somebody in the store to be like, there should be product there. We should order more or pull some from the back or whatever it is. Yep. hundred percent. And and then just on another topic, you guys have obviously gone through a fundraising round. You're You're in the middle of one right now. How has that been going? How are you kind of thinking through the right partners to kind of partner alongside you for this next kind of um, growth story? Yeah, I think being in the over the last three, four years, we've, you know, kind of raised as we've needed it um, and, you know, closing up our, our Series A right now as well. Looking for really good partners that are that are just have done it before. Like I've, I've alluded to some of our investors earlier today, but the majority of our investors are owner operators in the world of CPG, previous founders. Um, the current investors in the world of CPG, board members of CPG companies, and also some adjacent industries like the world of tech, um, like the former founder and CEO of Drizzly and like things like that too, where we're just getting a lot of people around the table that on any given day, we're picking up the phone and giving them a quick call to help us. So as we continue to grow the business, just being able to pull different pieces from places of people that have been successful in any field, 
but specifically CPG obviously is, is super helpful, um, has been the way that we've grown to date and will continue to grow. And we'll always look for that partner that really believes in this mission because it is, it's easy to say that it's like, oh, it's better for you chocolate milk. Like it's something everybody gets and understands. But uh, being a protein platform that started as this chocolate milk company, it, it definitely, uh, being in the world of beverages, it's not going to be 100% gross margin from day one, as most people know in the world of beverage. Right. And so it's five people that really believe in the end vision um, versus, you know, are you profitable today? Because most beverage companies aren't before they sell, but our goal is to be. Um, yeah. And we definitely have a path there and we're excited to see um, what's to come with this brand. Love it. Yeah. Doug Bowen's one of the many gems in, in CPG. And yeah. obviously I'm sure having Peter and Brian is also, is also quite helpful. Um, last question we ask all of our guests is just how they subscribe to wellness. So what are a few things you're focused on on a weekly basis to ensure you keep living a healthy life while managing slate? Yes. I drink at least one or two slates a day, obviously. Um, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but my, we made the, uh, pandemic investment in a peloton Love so it. I, I would try to do it during lunch and then it would be like four o'clock and i wouldn't do it so i made a commitment a couple of weeks ago to start getting up you know 6 a.m and doing it in the morning just be a morning workout guy again because i used to do that when i played sports and i just felt way better when i did it so i've started to do that three to four days a week again so um, hard to to do the morning thing to get in that routine i still well, can't like I mean, I was at times in my life, definitely, especially during college, we had morning lifts when I was like a tennis player, but, um, no, now I, I can't, I have to do, I'm like an afternoon gym guy. I I'm like, yeah. one of the things I'm so focused on is sleep. And so in order to me get like the right amount of sleep, I, I can't be a morning gym guy anymore. Cause I'm more of a sure. late night worker. Um, it helps when you, I, I live with my girlfriend who's a teacher and like, she yeah. has to be up early and go to yeah. bed early. So like it helps with the influence of me not staying up till midnight every night. Like I did when I lived with my buddies. Yeah, that does help. I'm still so bullish on Peloton too. Every, I mean, obviously so much controversy and like hate on that company um, and more like Wall Street Journal, but like, I think the the quality of the content and the workout is just, it's almost yeah. unbeatable. So I agree. I totally agree. I'm, I'm super high on that and, and really all kind of virtual fitness. Um, I love it. And my buddies and I joined a, uh, a men's basketball league where I think every single one of us has gotten hurt at some point in the last few months because yep. we just are <laughs> but ankles and knees uh, ankles and yeah, knees for yeah. like the two yeah yeah we love it so yeah do that and then i'm always trying new products like i uh i saw like the quavos guys on shark tank and quavos has become you know they're, they're egg white chips they've become part of my kind of daily weekly routine that that i'm eating as a, as a good healthy snack um constantly trying every beverage that comes out i my girlfriend actually made me buy a separate fridge just to put all the weird the weird shit as she says um yeah try them try them so that's just the beginning because you'll i mean i'm sure one day you'll also be doing some angel investments and taking samples from founders and uh my wife yeah she she gets pissed for how much <laughs> covered space i'm taking up with all these samples that are constantly coming so uh, it's just the beginning uh awesome yeah. man appreciate the time where can our listeners learn more about slate you can follow us on Instagram at Slate Milk, S-L-A-T-E-M-I-L-K, and uh, our website too, slatemilk.com. So super easy, follow along, and uh, we'll hopefully have a couple more big announcements coming out in the next kind of three to six months. Awesome. Excited to hear. Thanks for joining. Appreciate the time and best of luck. Love what you're doing. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. 
feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.